As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. You are listening to the seventh episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson and over this first series of the podcast, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as friendship, suffering and the hope of heaven. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis podcast by heading to cslewispodcast.com. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life, which is published by Hodder. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of this book, then we would love you to post about the C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And obviously, the more you share about the podcast, the more likely you are to win one of Professor Alistair McGrath's books. On today's episode, we will be talking about Lewis's thoughts around education. Welcome back, Alistair. We are going to be looking at what C.S. Lewis thought about education and what he saw as his role as an educator. But before we do that, I know that C.S. Lewis was uh, really important in terms of educating you as you read him. Would you say just a little bit about that? But maybe let's go back even further because you, like C.S. Lewis, weren't always a Christian, were you? No, I was quite an aggressive atheist as a teenager. In fact, sometimes I get very nostalgic when I read Richard Dawkins. Because when I read him, I say, that's what I used to be like when I was 16. You know, it's, it's, uh, but of course, I, I have moved on. Um, I moved on with Oxford uh, when I found two things, really. I began to realize that the intellectual foundations of atheism were much more vulnerable than I'd realized. And also I discovered Christianity had this very significant capacity to make sense of things which I had not appreciated at all that created a perfect storm if you like so I could no longer sustain my atheism 
And so I began to look around for Christian writers who I could read. Now, Lewis did not bring me to faith, okay? But Lewis helped me grow in my faith. So I sort of changed over to Christianity in late 1971. In 1974, February 1974, I began to read Lewis. And the reason I began to read him was I was sort of way boring my friends senseless <laughs> by asking them questions like, uh, what's this Trinity thing all about? Or, you know, or what's, it, what's this dual nature of Christ thing all about? You know, and they were saying, oh, for heaven's sake, read C.S. Lewis. He'll <laughs> tell you. And I did. And he did. And it was one of those, it just began this relationship which keeps going to the present day. So what was the first thing that you read of C.S. Lewis? Well, I began to read Lewis uh, in 1974. Lewis did not bring me to faith, but rather he was someone who helped me grow in my faith. And people uh, would say to me, look, Alice, you need to read C.S. Lewis. You're asking us all these difficult questions about the Trinity. We can't answer them. C.S. Lewis will help you. And he did, actually. And so in February 1974, about you know two or three years after my conversion, I bought my first books by C.S. Lewis. And one of them was um, a, a collection of essays called They Asked for a Paper, which included an essay, Is Theology Poetry? And it included this great idea that Christianity gave you this big picture of reality. And I read that paper and I thought, I've got it. I see it. And it is so good. And I just kept on reading Lewis. And actually, he has really amplified my vision of what Christianity is all about and I owe an enormous amount to him. What were the particular things that either challenged you or or made it all kind of click into place for you? Obviously I had to sort out the relationship between science and Christianity and Lewis helped a little bit but there were others who were talking to me about that like uh, Professor Charles Coulson at Oxford, a Methodist lay preacher who had a very good way of thinking about which I shamelessly adopted and still use to this day. (laughs) But Lewis was very, very good because Lewis had obviously been an atheist and he knew where I was coming from. You know, I'd never met him, but when I read his books, I thought, I, I recognize where you're coming from and I can see where you're taking me. And I found it so encouraging to find somebody who'd been in my place and moved on and could now help me move further on as I grew as a Christian. I suppose as well, there was so much more. We touched on this in the first episode, but you also shared many other things with C.S. Lewis, not just the atheism to Christianity, didn't you? Well, that's right. I mean, we were both born in Belfast. We were both atheists to begin with. We both discovered Christianity at Oxford. I mean, I mean, I was a scientist and he was a literary scholar, so there were differences. But nevertheless, both of us shared that excitement of discovery. And Lewis, while not helping me to make that discovery, was like a mentor, a sort of traveling companion along the road of faith. It was a wonderful experience. I'm so glad it still continues. What was C.S. Lewis's experience of education as a child? Well, Lewis uh, basically um, had a mixed educational background. Um, he, his mother's death meant he was sent away to boarding schools, which were not happy experiences for him. But basically, he then began to work with a tutor, um, and that worked well as kind of Socratic method, an individual teaching an individual, mimicking the Oxford tutorial system in many ways. And Lewis rose to that. He realized that, in effect, he could engage with this older man who was teaching him, and he could use that method himself. So it was very exciting. He discovered that, and in many ways, that set him up for his career at Oxford. He then went on to become a student at Oxford. How did that happen and what was his experience like as a student? 
Well, Lewis was accepted as a student to Oxford in 1917, but of course, 1917 was during the First World War, and so because Lewis was over the age of 18, he had to volunteer or else he'd be conscripted, and so in effect, he went to Oxford briefly, trained for military service, went into battle, was wounded, came back, and then in January 19, began to study classics at Oxford. And Lewis rose to this. He found the tutorial system very exciting, but he also found the ideas he was wrestling with really engaging. He was not a Christian at this point, but he was beginning to discover the excitement of the academic life. He then went on to become an educator himself. What sort of educator was C.S. Lewis? Well, Lewis basically became the tutorial fellow in English language and literature at Malden College in Oxford. In other words, he would teach undergraduates and also give university lectures in English literature. I think Lewis discovered that um, he rather enjoyed teaching. I mean, he liked it when students were really good. He found bad students rather difficult. But I think one of the things he discovered was that he was able to teach. So actually, he was able to immerse himself in the texts he was discussing and give the students a sort of sense of what they were all about, what to look for. In other words, he was someone who was like a guide to this rich network of writings, which he could pass on to his students. And he was fairly renowned as being a great speaker, wasn't he, on the kind of university lecture circuit? Lewis was well known as being a very good speaker at two levels. Number one, he really knew his topic. And so Lewis would walk into a lecture theatre, he'd sort of take his coat off and begin to talk. And he knew a subject so well he did not need notes. He might have a, a, a note of what references to make, but basically he knew things so well and could communicate so well, his students loved him. His lecture theatres were packed out. His friend J.R.R. Tolkien's lecture theatres were not packed up because (laughs) Tolkien mumbled. But that's the second thing about Lewis, his voice. One of his contemporaries described it as a plum pudding and port wine voice. It was something (laughs) rich and deep. People loved it. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why the BBC loved him for their radio broadcast because he spoke so well. So in many ways, he was an ideal educationist. He really knew his subject, and he was able to explain this clearly in a beautiful voice, which, in effect, held their attention. He obviously took his role as an educator seriously. What did he see was the importance of his role as an educator? For Lewis, an educator is someone who tries to communicate to his or her students what they have seen. In other words, it's not just about impartation of facts. It's the bigger picture which they are part. So Lewis would not simply talk about the factual side or, for example, the poetry of George Herbert, the historical context and so on. He'd be very much saying, let me help you to step inside this. Let me tell you about its deep structure. Let me tell you about why this will change your lives. And so in many ways, he was someone who knew, who understood, who lived within the texts that he was explaining to his students. He'd been there. He could explain to them what he found. And presumably, he then transferred that knowledge as an educator in English literature to then being an educator from a Christian perspective. Well, that's exactly right. And I think Lewis realised that um, he seemed to have a gift for communication, for explanation, 
and that this could be used, in effect, as a Christian educationist. And so if we look at a work like Mere Christianity, which is partly apologetic, partly teaching, we see Lewis, in effect, explaining to his readers what he found in Christianity, why it made sense, and it's all done in a way that holds your attention but is very accessible in its presentation. It's a very good example of someone who has grasped something, enabling his readers to see that as well. Why did he think that education was so important? Because his own fortunes in education were mixed. He had a series of disasters, and then it went right. I think it was when it went right, he began to realize how good this could be if it's done well. And was there a particular thing that went right? Was it that one-on-one tutorial thing that for him was the kind of (coughs) eye-opening thing that made it really good? Or were there other elements that made it good education? I think Lewis's experience with a private tutor when he was in his late teens was very significant because he realised that a good tutor could do two things. It could challenge you about what you thought about something. For what reason do you think that? Do you have any right to hold that opinion? You know, what is the evidential base of that belief you have? But also, let me explain this to you. So challenging your knowledge, helping you to understand. In many ways, that's what Lewis is doing in his Christian writings, challenging our existing understandings, helping us to build up a better, more reliable picture. There seemed to be a sense uh, when C.S. Lewis was writing that a new idea was inherently better just because it was new. And so C.S. Lewis is is quite anti that. I don't know whether it's because he was sort of speaking so explicitly into the culture of the time but he talks a lot about chronological snobbery and and us not doing that not dismissing something just because it's older why was that such an important element for him well it was a very important idea and it was important pragmatically and theoretically pragmatically lewis had read classics Mm. he'd read english renaissance literature and he just knew there was so much good stuff there so he felt it was terrible to neglect this But theoretically, he objected to this idea of a linear theory of progress by which you left the past behind. And Lewis is always very good with analogies. Here's the analogy he gives. Imagine a train going through stations. We tend to think it leaves each station behind and moves forward. No, it always brings something with each station with it. In other words, there's always something from the past we bring into the present. And Lewis, in effect, is saying there is this um, theory of progress which says if it's in the past, it's irrelevant, it's wrong. He's saying, no, no, no. There may be some things that are in the past that are irrelevant. There are other things that are classics, and we need to safeguard and preserve them. But Lewis also makes another point, which I think is really interesting. He says, look, we're here looking back and thinking, why did they think that back mm. then? Imagine somebody in the future looking back at us. Why did they think that back then? In other words, it helps us to realize we are not right. We just think we're right. Mm. And in the future, they'll say, why did they think that? So Lewis is very, very good, if I can put, at challenging this myth that the most recent is the best. It's not. It's just the most recent. And you saw that, didn't you, with things like eugenics at the time? You saw it with eugenics, which um, Lewis was very concerned about. Eugenics was this idea that now that we understand Darwin's theory of evolution, 
we can use it to change things, to change us. Selective breeding, that we in effect prevent certain categories of people from breeding at all because they might um, dilute the gene pool, or in effect, um, you know, um, eliminate people who we did not think were truly human. And Lewis said that may be modern, it is evil. And of course, at that stage, that was widely accepted within progressive circles in British cultural society. Hitler adopted it later, but it was there in Britain in the 1920s and 1930s, and Lewis was alarmed, and rightly so. Did Lewis think it was important for us to read and think about ideas that we didn't necessarily agree with? Lewis always thinks it's important to read about ideas, whether we agree with them or not. And in many ways, Lewis is saying, look, if you cannot counter this idea, you need to reflect on the quality of your intellectual engagement in general. And I think that's one of the reasons why Lewis looked back with such interest on his own encounter with, for example, the poetry of George Herbert, or indeed John Donne or Thomas Traherne, because all of those articulated the Christian vision that he did not agree with. Mm. But when he saw it articulate, he felt there is something very special here that I'm, I may have missed its significance. I will come back to this. What did C.S. Lewis think that literature could teach us? Lewis saw literature as, as being a really helpful way of helping people to learn. And he had a very famous controversy about this in the late 1920s. And the basic point that Lewis is making is that literature is not so much something to be studied in its own right, although it's interesting. It, in effect, is saying, let me explain to you as an author what I have seen. In other words, it's about communicating a bigger and better understanding of reality. So Lewis is very, very clear you can learn a lot from the way in which a writer uses language, the imagery they use, how they relate to their historical context. But for Lewis, education is primarily about the bigger picture, grasping the things that really matter. And for Lewis, that's something that a writer himself can do, not just communicate his enthusiasm, for example, for George Herbert, but to be able to say, look at the words he used and the ideas that lie behind them. And of course, Lewis saw that lying behind his own ministry as a Christian educationist, not just what Christians think, but also the difference that this makes. And for me, that's a very important aspect of education, to convey a vision, not simply to give detail of the kind of background to all of this. And I suppose linked in with that is the sense that C.S. Lewis thought that uh, education was about seeing through other people's eyes. Would you say just a bit more about that? Yes, Lewis talks about that quite a lot, particularly in his later period and in an essay in Criticism, for example. And I think he gets this idea from Proust, who in effect says that the, the true voyage of discovery is to be able to see th things through somebody else's eyes. And Lewis really likes that because the image of seeing is very, very important for Lewis. So the basic metaphor that Lewis is using is very simple. Here's how I see things. When I read an educational textbook or literature, I'm able to see how somebody else sees the same thing. And so it invites me to ask, does the way they see it differ from mine? And is it better or worse? Because if it's better, I need to think about putting their spectacles on. So in many ways, what Lewis was doing is saying education is about 
giving us this opportunity to be able to see the same thing from multiple perspectives through different people's eyes and asking whether that enriches our own understanding of these things. So for Lewis, education is about enriching our personal vision. Now you can see how in terms of Christian education, you're saying, look, that's how you see it. Now, here's how I, C.S. Lewis, sees it, but here's how Augustine sees it, here's how Luther sees it. Which of those do you think is best? And so the onus is then on the reader to weigh up those options and think, what is the most emotionally, intellectually satisfying? Lewis is saying in many ways that it's up to the individual to look at things in multiple ways, to appreciate them, and then say, I'm going to weave my own personal picture one that find, I find deeply satisfying and meaningful. It's grounded in the evidence, but it's also constructed in dialogue with those who've been before me, who've thought about this and have given me this rich legacy for me to appropriate. Education for Lewis is about the appropriation of a legacy, not in a passive way, but rather an active way as you seek to say, how can I take this and use it for myself? C.S. Lewis was quite critical of uh, modern education in the 1940s. What were some of those things that he was critical uh, of? Um, why was he critical of them? Well, Lewis was critical of modern educational methods. He felt that they were rather formulaic, that they were not individual-centred. And there were several concerns that really bothered him. One, of course, was this idea that um, old ideas can just be forgotten. We know best now. We understand things. The past is no relevance. Lewis saying, no, that is not the case. For Lewis, you read old books to allow what he called the clean breeze of the centuries to blow through us. That's very important. But I think that the main thing that Lewis is getting at is that actually um, very often modern educational methods are based on an inadequate understanding of the human person. And during the Second World War, Lewis was very, very concerned that actually people were being encouraged to think of what Hitler was doing as evil. But actually, at the same time, modern education was eroding the fundamental distinction between good and evil. And Lewis's point is, look, there's, a, there's an inconsistency here. How can you lapse into some kind of relativism and then say this is evil? Because it's simply your judgment that's evil, and it's only one amongst many judgments. So in many ways, Lewis was saying that a more classical educational system was more attentive to the complexity of the world and also to the, the sheer difficulty we face in, in dealing with moral questions like good and evil. What do you think you'd make of the current education system? I think it's very hard to ask what Lewis would make of it. I mean, he would probably find himself overwhelmed by the fact it was so so strange. But I think that Lewis would probably feel that there was a danger that you were losing touch with the past. And I don't know whether that criticism might be justified or not, but certainly Lewis would see this obsession with modern authors, this um, reluctance to take classical ideas seriously, in effect is disconnecting you from a very rich and vibrant past which can enrich the future. And Lewis is very, very clear. You don't want to be enslaved to the past, to be trapped in the past, but the past is able to help us understand the present and gives us some resources that we can still use today. 
Do you think he saw education as just in a kind of classroom setting or in a book scenario? Or do you think it was, do you think he had a wider view of education than that? I think Lewis had a wider view of education. He sometimes talks about it as irrigating deserts. You know, in effect, you know, this is life-giving. It's refreshing. It's renewing. And that's very important. And we need to bear in mind that for, for Lewis, education was a privilege, and he was very concerned about that, wanted something that's accessible to all people because he felt that they could grow as human beings. They would be able to understand things better, have a richer vision of life. And he very much wanted to help people to do that. And in many ways, his own books are an attempt to do that. You can see them as works of Christian education, which are accessible and engaging, enabling people, in effect, to have a richer Christian life. What would be some of those works that you recommend there that that would be his kind of approach to Christian education? I think to grasp the kind of ideas Lewis wants to get education across in his works, you would need, I think, to read his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, because that talks about his own experience being taught and teaching. I think there's much to be learned there. But I think the main work I'd suggest that people really look at is... um, the Chronicles of Narnia for the very simple reason that there's a process of education going on there. How do the children learn about Narnia? They're taught. How are they taught? People tell stories. They draw them in. They help them realize the significance of those questions. So I think in many ways, the Chronicles of Narnia might be a very interesting starting point for that particular topic. Thank you so much, Alistair. A pleasure. Thank you for listening to the seventh episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of one of Alistair's books about C.S. Lewis, then we would love you to post about this new C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website cslewispodcast.com Over this first series of the C.S. Lewis podcast Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as stories, suffering and the hope of heaven Next week we will focus on Lewis's thoughts around suffering and the problem of pain Pain